Though we do not always choose your love, O Lord, we thank you for choosing us in Jesus Christ. Amen. The story of humanity in scripture begins with a choice. Should we eat from the forbidden tree or not? Consistently, the story of humanity is the story of us making choices for death instead of life. That's what happened in the garden. It's what happens throughout the pages of scripture. It is what is happening in the pages of the newspaper. Today, we hear Moses tell the people, I have set before you life and death. Choose life. We all have choices to make. Choices between being blessed by loving or being cursed by selfishness. And often we choose death. Most of the book of Deuteronomy is the farewell speech of Moses to the people of God. Moses knows that he will soon die and that the people will then enter into the land that they have been journeying toward for a generation. And when they enter that new land, they will have choices to make. Will they choose to remember that it was God who brought them out of slavery in Egypt, sustained them in the wilderness, and led them into this land of promise? Will they choose to keep the commandments, to care for the oppressed and the impoverished? Will they choose to practice Sabbath rest? Or will they choose to go their own way? Will they choose other gods who make more enticing offers? Will they choose to maximize their profits at the cost of others? Will they choose to live their life by the rules of their own making instead of God's? Moses urges them to choose life, to embrace the promises of God which come through obedience and commitment to God. Because when they enter into this new land and this new reality, they are going to have choices to make. New rituals, norms, and practices will be formed. Decisions will need to be made about how they will structure their schedules and build their cities. And so on the front end, Moses cautions them to choose intentionally, wisely, and faithfully. It's great advice for us as well to be mindful of the choices that we are making because we are inundated with choice. Paper or plastic, small or large, fries or tater tots, CBS or NBC evening news, the base package or the upgraded model, sleeping in or coming to church. One study estimates that we make 35,000 choices every single day. Now sure, some of those are very small and inconsequential, but a different study that we still found that we still make 122 substantive decisions every day. That's exhausting. And to deal with this exhaustion, our brains have evolved to do the work for us. Most of the decisions that we make, we do not actually think about. Psychologists speak of this in terms of system one and system two thinking. System one is our fast, automatic, unconscious, emotional 
response to situations. System two is how you brushed your teeth this morning without actually thinking about it. System two is a slower, deliberate, analytical way of thinking. Hopefully right now you are using system two. It would be later this today when you go out to lunch and you need to calculate how much of a tip to leave. That is system two thinking. And what's interesting about this way of categorizing our thoughts is that studies show that we are in that logical system two thinking only two to five percent of the time. Meaning the vast majority of the time, 95 to 98 percent, we are not consciously thinking. Rather, we are reacting. This means an awful lot of the choices that we make are ones that we haven't actually thought about and might not even be the choice we would want to make. It's a question of our identity. What kind of people will we be? Well, the answer, of course, is that we will be the people who our choices make us. And if our choices are unintentional, so will our identity be unintentional. Many of you know that last month I had the tremendous honor of giving the address at the Martin Luther King breakfast. And as I was preparing for that, I was reading a lot of his writings. And there's one that has stuck with me. King once wrote a letter to America as if he were St. Paul. In part, he wrote, I wonder whether your moral and spiritual progress has been commensurate with your scientific progress. Your poet Thoreau used to talk about improved means to an unimproved end. How often this is true. You have allowed the material means by which you live to outdistance the spiritual ends for which you live. You have allowed your mentality to outrun your morality. You have allowed your civilization to outdistance your culture. And through your scientific genius, you have made of the world a neighborhood. But through your moral and spiritual genius, you have failed to make of it a brotherhood. And so I would urge you to bring your moral advances in line with your scientific advances. King is saying we've done a whole bunch of stuff and we've made a lot of choices. But we haven't really thought about the implications of most of it. We have so many tools at our disposal. We can look up the answer to nearly anything in an instant. But what kind of people have we become for all of our technology and supposed progress? Now, I've not been around as long as some of you have. But it seems like things are fraying at the edges. I did not watch the State of the Union this past week. I read a couple of headlines and that was enough. The vitriol in our speech towards one another is disgusting. We are constantly reacting without thinking out of our places of fear, brokenness, and sin. The choices that we are making are not putting us in the direction of abundant life in Christ. Though St. Paul was writing to the Corinthians, he might as well have been writing to us as he confronts the behaviors of jealousy and quarreling. Constantly, we seem to be making such deadly choices. In the text from Matthew, we heard Jesus challenging us by saying, you have heard that it was said, and usually we just go with whatever it is that we heard said. 
we think, oh, I know all about this. And then we keep on making those choices without much reflection. And sometimes that's just fine. When it comes to making a cup of coffee in the morning, I'm glad that I could do that without putting much thought into it. But when it comes to how we want to be a community of faith in 2023, that's a dangerous thing to have on autopilot. I don't have to tell you all that the church is changing. To be sure, the church was changing in 2019, but the pandemic was like a fast forward button. What would have taken a decade or two to happen all occurred in the span of three years. And while there are certainly some things about the future that are unsettling and uncertain, I can't tell you how excited I am about what is coming. I don't know what it is, but I have a very clear sense that the Holy Spirit is up to something. Now, where she's leading us, I can't say for sure, but I know that what might look like a decline in terms of finances and attendance are not signs of a problem, but rather signs that the winds are shifting, that something new is coming. In January, we had a great vestry retreat led by the Methodist Bishop Will Williman. We talked about some of our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. We discussed a lot of System 2 ideas and plans. Likewise, the staff and I have dedicated a lot of time recently to intentionally planning for the future, not just doing the same old, same old. Now, to be clear, the same old was never bad. Parts of our tradition absolutely should be cherished and carried into the future. But we have a choice before us, and we are resolved to listen to the Spirit, to be intentional about our choices, to be responsive to the call of God, not the status quo. And what's driving this is our absolute trust that the love of God in Christ really and truly makes all the difference. And because our world is changing, because society is shifting, because life in 2023 does not look like it did in 2003, or 1953, or 1803, we need to be intentional about how we participate and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a world that desperately needs to come and see the love of God in a beloved community like St. Luke's. And so if it sounds like I'm preparing you for change, I am. Again, I can't say for sure what these changes will look like. I just know that the Spirit is doing something through us, and I'm excited about that. Now, as an example of some things that could be different, we've added lovely icons to our worship space. They are reshaping how we see ourselves. On Ash Wednesday, we are trying a different schedule of worship services this year. We've been trying new patterns for our Sunday morning fellowship and Wednesday evening parish meals. I'm not talking about tearing down bell towers or anything like that. Rather, it's about doing all that we can to pave the way for people to come and see the difference Christ makes. And the reason why I want to be more thoughtful and intentional, trying new things and responding to the Spirit, instead of just keeping up old habits and patterns, is the love of God is worth it. 
Because when we know that the seed of God's grace, forgiveness, peace, and love have been planted within us, that changes everything. When the love of God is what we are pursuing, instead of our need to be right, rich, or righteous, well, then our relationships can be transformed. When the love of God is the lens through which we make our choices, then we dwell in the kingdom as it is coming on earth as it is in heaven. As we strive to further cultivate beloved community, offer intentional worship, and proclaim abundant grace, we are not doing any of these things to try to be trendy or relevant or even successful. It's that to the best of our ability, we are going to choose Jesus instead of choosing our personal preferences, staying in our comfort zones, or unthoughtfully doing what we've always done. Because just as the people of God were on the precipice of entering into a new land, and Moses urged them to be mindful of the choices that they would make, we would also do well to be intentional and faithful in our choices. Now, I've been blessed to serve as the rector of St. Luke's for eight and a half years. And if it's up to me, I have not yet hit the halfway point in my tenure. But I also know that whether it's a job, a call, or a relationship, there are natural cycles. It's what people often refer to as the seven-year itch. I very much want this parish to thrive, and I believe that God is setting us up for that. But we cannot be content with where we have been, because God is always ahead of us, calling us to follow. We are blessed with the staff that we need to meet this moment, with members who are so supportive, committed, and generous, and with opportunities to be a beacon of God's light in this community. Now, you all know that I have a sabbatical coming up in about two months. It got delayed one, two, three times because of the pandemic. But I now believe that it is happening in God's time, an intentional time of rest and reflection as we are entering this next chapter of our history. It's a question of whether or not we're going to stick with, you have heard it said, and you have seen it done, or if we choose to follow the Spirit somewhere new. And though I have been talking about our parish, these questions also apply to us as a community, as families, and as individuals. What choices would you like to be more intentional about? What things might God be calling you to let rest for a little while so that you can pick up something new? How can you plan to spend more time with God in, in system two, thinking about and being mindful of God's loving presence with us? Now, as always, the gospel is that even when we make the wrong choices, God has chosen us. And that's really all that matters. We heard that in the reading from Matthew. None of us can stand up against those standards. But when we stumble, God has chosen to pick us up. When we are lost, God has decided to come and find us. When we make mistakes, God has already chosen to forgive us. And it is this grace that gives us the confidence to take the risk 
of choosing love as God's loved and chosen people.